Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. The ongoing series titled Jesus at the Center of the Church proceeds with a message called Suffering. This podcast episode is centered around Jesus's combination of the Church of Smyrna for their unwavering faith in challenging times. The key message emphasizes the trajectory nature of suffering and encourages the members to be mindful of the rewards that await them. After today's episode, we'll share with you a daily devotion that you can follow for the rest of this week. Here's Senior Pastor Brian Jones. Well, good morning, Brookwood. Can we just thank the band for leading us so faithfully? Uh, Just love worshiping and love what God is stirring. Now, out of curiosity, how many of you this week have done a devotional? Okay, look at this. Um, If you don't know what we're talking about, uh, last week we talked about the fact that uh, after each sermon, we believe so deeply that that you can really do the works of God when you have the heart of God. And so we believe so deeply that I and several of the pastors, after each sermon, we have devotionals that you can download. And uh, if you don't, uh, you can download them on the app or you can go out in the information center and you can get a hard copy. But I just encourage you, keep with that. Keep with that. For years as a pastor, I found myself constantly tired, exhausted, saying I needed more vacations. The problem was I'd go on a vacation and my heart would just feel more tired and depressed. And it was like all of a sudden, as I spent time with God and I drew near to God. See, when you do these devotionals and you spend time, it's not like you're just reading something or studying history. What's happening is you are getting the heart of God and you're giving him your heart. It's the great exchange. So in essence, you're just getting more power, more love. And so if you're in a place where Jesus is close to you, keep going. But if you're in a place where you just find yourself dry, I challenge you for one week just to see what God does if you encounter him in his word and spend time with him. Fair enough? Well, we are continuing in a series. Last week I mentioned that one of the things is I met with different uh, small groups and I met with different people. People kept asking me the question, what's the vision for Brookwood going to be now? Like, what, what's the mission going to be? What's the vision going to be? Hey, what are your ideas on staff structure? What's the new exciting thing we're going to be doing? And I shared last week that I want to continue what Brookwood has always been built on. That at the center of this church is not a vision or a strategy that the center of this church is not a staff structure or something new and exciting. The center of this church has been and will always be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. And so uh, that's what we're going after this year. Jesus at the center, Jesus at the center of our lives. So we're going to unpack Jesus at the center of, of history. We're going to look at parables of Jesus. We're going to take time to unpack Jesus' words on prayer and what that looks like. And last week I kicked off a series called Jesus at the Center of the Church. And so we're looking at the letters, the words that Jesus gives to the seven churches in Revelation. Last week we talked on Ephesus. This week we talk on Smyrna, or if you're from the deep south, Myrna, all right? How many of you actually think, this is important to know who we're working with, how many of you think the word is pecan? How many of you think the word is pecan? And all of God's people said, amen. There are no pecans in heaven, only pecans. Just in case you're wondering, there's no crayons, only crowns. Now this church 
in Revelation, Smyrna, it's experiencing a little suffering, hardship and persecution. So what Jesus is going to do, he's actually going to encourage them about what it is that they're facing. Now, if you've been involved with the student ministry, you might be aware of this, but uh, we actually have one of the students uh, that is a part of the student ministry. She just graduated, Lydia Owens, who when she graduated, she was valedictorian and she actually gave a speech at her high school. And the, the news outlets picked this up. It actually became viral. There are millions of people that have seen this because she talked about something that she had faced, a difficult season, and, uh, and how God had met her in that space. And, and I just want to show you a minute of what one of the students in Brookwood actually spoke at her graduation because I think it's such an encouragement. Check out this video real quick. Facing your identity in the things of this world will disappoint you because they are only temporary. I had that reality check almost two years ago when my mom passed away. When tragedy struck my life, it was not my grades nor my accomplishments that helped me navigate through that loss. When everything else in my life felt uncertain, the only person that I could depend on to stay the same was Jesus. My perspective of success drastically changed because I realized that the many years I spent placing my worth in my academics meant absolutely nothing in light of eternity. Speaking from my experience, constantly striving to be perfect has never satisfied me. But what does satisfy me is knowing that my worth is not found in my successes or my failures. My worth and your worth is found in Jesus because he's the only one who will ever satisfy us. Isn't that awesome? It's praise God, isn't that so cool? What I love about her story is she is at this moment actually teaching our middle school students at the South Campus about the love and the hope of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so what I want you to see is that her story is someone where she faces hardship, some pain, some suffering, but God ends up redeeming that. There's some good and something transformative that comes out of those seasons. And so if you hear one thing today, because some of you, you walk in this room and it's like your heart is a million miles away because you're carrying something. And it's so easy to come to church and sing songs, but on the inside, you know what it's like to have stress or worry, anxiety, pain, suffering that's affecting you or someone you love. And I just want to say this, if you're in that season, that oftentimes what happens is those setbacks become setups for some of the richest and most powerful work in your life when, when you keep Jesus at the center, amen? What God does is he takes those bad things that the enemy intends for evil and he brings some good, some of the best blessings in our life when you keep him at the center. And so sometimes you face these things and the enemy wants you to think that there's no hope. But what God is doing, what Jesus is doing in this letter, he's encouraging this church of Smyrna that in the midst of pain and suffering, there is still a God who's at work, who's redeeming and moving in ways that they might not even be aware of. And so he's encouraging them. Now, I want to show you this because I think it's important to just sort of frame up where people are at because in seasons of life, we just have different places we're at. Let me just show you this. So in seasons of life, you have certain seasons where you get like a vision. And this could be like you become a grandparent, you become a, uh, you know, uh, you have a child, you become a mom or a dad. You step into a new season. God gives you 
a new place that you're working at or you just have something that God gives you a vision for. Then other times there are seasons where you just find yourself in a season of pain and suffering. It's just a difficult season. And then there are other times where it's like life is great. God has blessed you. And all of us are probably in different places a little bit and we will be in all of these seasons, but it's unique that you might find yourself in one of these seasons. And why do I tell you this? I think it's so important if you're in a season of pain and suffering. It's not spiritual if you're in a season of pain and suffering to try to jump over to the side of celebration. And so what happens is sometimes because we don't want to feel stuff and we don't like painful stuff, we try to escape or numb or move really quick into celebration. The problem is, I've said this before, but your past is not your past if it still impacts your future, amen? So God doesn't want you just to suppress these things. He wants you to experience healing and deeper life in the midst of those things. And so if you're in a season of pain and suffering, I encourage you, let God do his work in your life and he will well up a faith and a power through the spirit that you never could have outside of that season. On the flip side, I find myself and other people though in seasons of celebration, it's almost like I can go back to living in seasons of sacrifice. And what I mean by that is that we will say things like, it's just a matter of time before I go back in that season again. Or you feel guilty sometimes because there are other people that are suffering some different things. But can I just encourage you, if you're in a season of celebration, live in that season, enjoy that season. But here's what's important. You know that phrase, save up for what? Rainy day. It doesn't do you much good to save up when it's raining, right? In the same way, what I would encourage you, if you're in a season of celebration, enjoy that. It is not spiritual to try to live in sacrifice, but save up these principles that we're gonna be talking about today so that when those seasons of pain or suffering come, you can keep Jesus at the center and your faith won't be shipwrecked, amen? And so this is what Jesus, through John, starts off saying to this church that is experiencing suffering. Revelation 2.8 says this, write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now, again, I mentioned this last week, but you go, what is the angel of Smyrna? What is going on here? Well, the angel was the pastor or the leader of this church. And so what would happen is this pastor or leader would get this letter from John, that the spirit of God would have given him and he would stand in front of the church and he would read this letter of what Jesus would either commend or he would confront. And so this is nothing more than the pastor and the leader and starts off saying, this is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. Who do you think this is referring to? Jesus. It's so in essence, the one who is the first and last, the one who has no beginning, the one who has no end, the eternal God. And then notice it says the one who was dead but is now alive. This is a hope of the resurrection. And this would have been important to the people in Smyrna because they would have been facing persecution and hardship for their faith. And they needed this picture of a God who rose and conquered the grave to help them face what they were facing. Now, a little background on Smyrna and the area. You can actually visit this area today. It's actually a part of Turkey. Its, its modern name is called Esmir, and it is the third largest city in Turkey. And so you can go visit, you can see some of the ruins, um, but in fact, you'll see behind, this is actually a sketch of what they believe it would have been back in its heyday. It was a port city. 
Um, yeah, you'll see it right there. This is what they think it would have been like. And you can go there, but Smyrna was a very proud city. It was a very important city to the people. In fact, some people called it the glory of Asia. And it was rich in trade. Predominantly, it was rich in the trade of wine. Now, uh, Smyrna, like Ephesus, I mentioned this last week, was a very wealthy city. So you had all sorts of activity coming in. You had people that were, were visiting. It was booming at the seams. And so in essence, what was unique about Smyrna that was maybe different than the other churches is this church faced more persecution than almost any of them. Because in this church, there was this cult of really emperor worship. If you rewind about 70 years before this letter is written and about 8023, there was actually a temple to Tiberius Caesar that was built uh, by Smyrna. And 11 different cities actually put in bids to build this temple, but Smyrna really won the honor. Think about like a modern day Super Bowl or, you know, if, if you have the Olympics, cities will place bids to actually get that honor of hosting that particular event. And so this was a big deal that someone would build a temple to Tiberius Caesar. And Smyrna actually put this bid in, they won. And so back in AD 23, really Roman emperor worship was optional. But fast forward, when this letter is written to the church in Smyrna, Roman emperor worship was actually required by law and punishable by death or imprisonment. In fact, the emperor of the Roman Empire at this time was an emperor named Domitian. I mentioned this last week. He was brutal to Christians. He would martyr them. He would kill them. He would persecute them. And so literally all the Christians in Smyrna had to worship this God or this Roman emperor as the Lord Domitian. And what they would do is they would actually have to go once a year. Everybody in Smyrna would have to go in once a year and they would take this incense they would offer it and they would say this phrase, Kaiser Kurios, Kaiser Kurios, which means Caesar is Lord. And once you did that, you would get a certificate. And if you didn't, again, it was punishable by death or financial strain. So with that in mind, you got to understand this church is facing a whole lot of difficult things. Now, there are really only two churches, because I said this last week, there are, there are really two churches that Jesus isn't going to confront anything. He's just going to commend. The first church he's going to commend is actually the church in Philadelphia, which has nothing to do with the Philadelphia Eagles because there is nothing to commend on the Philadelphia Eagles, Robert. I see you. Gene Beckner, we want to make the, off, the altar available for you right now to repent of your sins. But the first church is the Philadelphia, Church of Philadelphia, that they have nothing but things that God commends. The second is actually this church in Smyrna. Now, the, the real thing that Jesus is going to encourage or commend, there's actually really only one thing he's going to commend. And this is what he's going to say to this church in Smyrna, that you are faithful. You are faithful in the difficult times. Now, isn't it true that sometimes when you're going through difficult things, people say things that aren't that helpful? Anybody had that happen? You're going through a difficult time. Someone says something that's not that helpful. And I just jotted a few phrases that maybe you've said or I've said before that aren't that helpful. How many of you, when someone injures themselves, you said this phrase, and you have to be honest, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. 
It's like your son broke his arm and it's like, hey, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Not helpful at all. Or how about this one? Your child or someone has their heart broken and you utter these wise prophetic words. There are other fish in the sea. Anybody said that phrase? (laughs) Had that phrase said to him? How about this one? Parents, as they they discipline their kids, one day you'll thank me for this. (laughs) Anybody? Mom and dad, if you're watching, I'm still not thanking you. How about this one? This is my favorite one. Some of you have broken people's hearts and then you say that unhelpful phrase, it's not you, it's me. How many of you said that? (laughs) Few of you in here. We're just going to bring the uh, prayer pastors down right now. We're going to just have a moment of repentance. But sometimes people say things that aren't that helpful. And what I love about the Bible is sometimes you read this stuff and you just go, hey, it doesn't seem like what they're saying here is very helpful. Because when you look at what Jesus says to this church, it feels sort of tone deaf at best and outlandish at worst because notice what he says to this church that is experiencing persecution, death and suffering in verse nine. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. That word for suffering is the idea of an olive that is being crushed. Jesus is speaking to people who are literally being crushed and he's going, hey, you're rich. What's interesting, that term poverty, remember I told you once a year, you would have to go into the temple of Caesar and you would utter this phrase, Kaiser Kurios, which means Caesar is Lord. And once you uttered that phrase, you were given a certificate. So the only people that were given a pass were the Jews But if you didn't get a certificate, which was the Christians in Smyrna, you would lose jobs. You would not get job promotions. People would not trade with you. You could not buy certain goods at the market. If the government found out, it was punishable by imprisonment or death. And so this is not a metaphor. Jesus is speaking to Christians who are suffering poverty. They are losing their possessions. In fact, one commentator said that the church in Smyrna are the heroes of the faith. Because for you to be a Christian meant there was a target on your back. People would not just show up to church and worship in Smyrna unless they were all in. Because this would cost you potentially your life or your health. It would definitely cost you economically. And Jesus says this phrase, but you're rich. What is he doing here? Jesus knows that although they are experiencing some physical difficulties, that on the inside, their faith would grow and mature in ways it never could in good seasons. I don't like this, but I've never, ever met anyone who's just like, you know what? My faith is better than it's ever been. And I'll tell you what, my life is better than it's ever been. Like I have the best marriage. My kids actually listen to me. People like me. I'm getting promotions. No one really speaks like that. People will often say, I remember that season a few years ago or five years ago. It was one of the darkest seasons I faced and I hope I never have to go back. But God, God did his richest work in my life in that season. Because Jesus knows that sometimes the suffering, the pain and those trials is what gives birth to a greater faith, a greater power in the midst of it. And so he sees something that the enemy doesn't want us to see. Listen to what it says 
in Revelation 2, 9 and 10, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say that they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Now, again, notice it says this, the synagogue of Satan. Some people think this is a play to the, the temple of Caesar where they would go and they would offer these incense and this sacrifice and in essence say Caesar is Lord. Regardless, what we know is that these Christians are experiencing pressure and crushing and financial strain. But Jesus knows that some new life, even in the midst of those bad things, will pop up. Listen to what it says in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, now again, it's important to know that this verse is actually written to the church. Dear brothers and sisters is a sign of the church community. So you could read it. Dear church community, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Don't you love and hate the Bible? <laughs> like, this is how I know the Bible is real. No one would write this. Like, no one would go, hey, you know what? Consider it great joy when you face trials. And sometimes we say that, and I think we get desensitized to what we're actually saying. But he says, consider it pure joy, some versions say, when you face these trials. Why? Verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, some versions say your perseverance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. That word for perfect is actually the word for maturity. You will have a maturity, a depth, a power, a life that you could not have without that testing. And see, the truth is, is that at least if you're, if you're like me, it is easy to talk about Jesus at the center when life is good. It's easy on Sunday morning when life is great to sing Jesus at the center. It's easy to talk about God's love and his goodness. But when you face difficult times, in essence, what James says is your faith is called to the witness stand. You find out what's really in your heart and in your soul in the difficult times. You've seen how many people throughout the years, and, and maybe you know that, and I grieve that, and I'm praying God will bring them back. But do you ever notice how many people are in church for a season, but then when difficulty strikes, they start asking the question, where is God? And they fall away. But what happens for some people when you journey through and when you keep Jesus at the center, you don't lose your faith. You actually get a greater faith. You get a greater power a greater strength, a greater peace, a greater joy. And that's why Jesus is saying, I know it seems hopeless right now, but stay the course. I'm giving birth to something new that's gonna transform your life. I'm doing something. Now, do you know how a goldsmith knows that gold is ready? Anybody know? Any resident goldsmiths in the house? They see their reflection in the gold. And so what will happen is this goldsmith will look at the gold. He'll keep applying fire and heat until he can see or she can see their reflection in the gold. 
Sometimes, even though we don't like it, sometimes God will allow some painful things to come in your life. Sometimes he will allow a little pressure. Sometimes he will give you a little fire. Sometimes he will keep the heat pressing on. But what he's doing, he's up to something. He is actually taking all that sin, all that impurity, all that evil, all of that stuff, and he is separating it so that he can see his reflection in you. That's what he's doing. And the enemy doesn't want you to know that. The enemy just wants you to go, where is God? It is hopeless. And James and Jesus is saying it gives birth to something amazing. Can I just say this? Anybody who says to me, you know what? Like birth is one of the most beautiful things in life. I question them. As someone who has experienced two physical births, that is enough for all of eternity for me. And I'll never forget my my wife... We had twins the last time she gave birth. Uh, We were actually in the the doctor's office and she was getting ready to give birth and we had one of those overzealous doctors that thought this was the most beautiful thing in life. And I'll never forget, she was actually uh, getting a C-section and they had like this drape. It looked like something out of a horror movie, you know? And then the doctor just pulls down this drape and he goes, do you wanna see it's beautiful? My wife is getting a C-section. The words beautiful don't work in that sentiment. The sight, the smell, the sound. And literally the doctor pulls this down and I just look at my sweet wife and I'm like, babe, I can't do this. (laughs) So my sweet wife is encouraging me as she gives birth. But you know what? How many of you have more than let's say five kids? Only a few of you. You are a wise, smart crowd. But you know what? It's always amazing to me. Why would someone go through the pain of childbirth? Why? Because they know that that birth will produce something amazing. They're not just glutton for punishment. They know that that childbirth will produce something that will make their life great. They know that that childbirth will produce something that will actually transform their life. And what James wants you to know is that when you're experiencing trials, it is actually going to give birth, if you keep Jesus at the center, to something amazing. It's going to give birth to something that's going to transform your life. And you're going to look back and go, that was an awful season, but I felt the power and the presence of God in ways I never had before. He knows that it's going to give birth to something that's going to be great if you stay patient and you stay faithful. So can I just encourage you, if you're in a season of difficulty, do not believe the lie that all hope is gone. The enemy wants you to feel that. I'll never forget, years ago, I mentioned this when I first preached here. Years ago, I had a crippling run of anxiety and depression. I had no anxiety and depression in my family. I didn't even know those words were a thing. In fact, I'm almost horrified that when people came to me years ago and talked about anxiety and depression, I would just give them a Bible verse and say, hey, you need some sleep. And memorize Philippians 4.8. You'll be back at it the weekend. And what happened was I hit a wall. And if you've ever had anxiety, you know it's not just a quick sleep on the weekend. There is just like almost this dark blanket that I would describe it as that just sort of comes over you. And I remember I had this, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was an insomniac. I didn't sleep for almost a month. I lost about 20 pounds. I didn't eat anything. And if you would have told me a couple years ago that I would be on this stage preaching and experiencing the joy of God, I wouldn't have believed you. Because it just seemed like there was such a season of pain and darkness 
never once suicidal, but I remember a couple nights, I just said, God, if you want to take me home, I'm ready. I mean, it was just like this dark cloud that came over me. And I'll never forget, it was 4th of July a few years ago, and people were getting together for, for 4th of July parties, but I was just in a place where I would preach on Sunday, and then I would go be alone, and it would be all that I could to show up on Sunday. So there was no 4th of July parties I wanted to do. In fact, I remember on 4th of July when everyone was gathering in these groups, I went to the church that I was pastoring at in Dallas and I sat in the worship center. And I just remember pouring out my heart going, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if there's any hope. And you know what God gave me? He gave me the passage in James chapter 1 that I just gave you. And I started reading that, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, my version in the NIV said, your perseverance has a chance to grow. And people talk about the Holy Spirit speaking. I've never once heard the Holy Spirit in an audible way. Oftentimes it's very subtle. What will happen is a thought will come in my mind that I just, I feel like is from the Spirit, and that's exactly what happened. I was there almost for three or four hours, and I heard one little thought that was in my mind from the Spirit that entire night, and this is what he said. Your faith is real. Your faith is real. You ever wonder sometimes in the good seasons what would happen when you were pressed or pressured? As a pastor, I wondered that for years. And here I am in this church And it's like the Holy Spirit just revealed your faith is real. And can I just encourage you with this this morning? If you're in a season of pain or suffering or you're walking through something, the fact that you are here, the fact that you are here this morning is proof that your faith is real. The enemy wants to rob you of that reality, tell you all the things you're doing wrong. But let me just breathe encouragement. The fact that you are here and pressing in, you could be anywhere else. But the fact that you're in church seeking God is proof that your faith is real. And if you keep him at the center of this difficult season, he's going to grow up your faith in a way that you never would have imagined. You're going to look back and go, I never, ever want to go back to that season. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you did. He will give a birth and a life that you never imagined. Let me just say this. If you're in a season of pain and suffering, Let me just give you a couple practical things. And if you're in a season of celebration, I encourage you, enjoy this season. But I do implore you to save these principles so that when a season of pain or suffering or trials come up, you can keep Jesus at the center and your faith won't be shipwrecked. Just two simple things that I think we see with this church of Smyrna that's helpful when we're in those seasons is is really this. First, suffering is temporary. Suffering is temporary. Notice what it says in Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And then it goes on to talk about you will suffer for 10 days. Now, some people think this is a reference to the 10 emperors that were persecuting Christians. But really what you find, regardless of what it is, it's Jesus' way of saying suffering is temporary. One of the greatest promises we have in Revelation is there will be a day where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. You blink And this life is over. And many of us are in this room and you're facing some bad things. But can I tell you, even the stuff you're facing is temporary. God is going to bring you out of that season. But what you have the opportunity is to enter in and trust him in a way that your faith 
will give new meaning and new life and new power from the Spirit as you stay dialed in. And let me just encourage you this. In the midst of suffering, knowing that it's temporary, you also have a God who walks with you. Notice what, again, is given in context this church in Smyrna. The God who has no beginning and no end, the one who has rose and conquered the grave, they needed that sense of hope of who is walking with them. And even though suffering is temporary, I also want to encourage you, remember who walks with you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you start to sense that, you start to know that you can walk through whatever it is that you're facing. But here's the second thing I want to say, is that as you face trials, pain, and suffering, all of us will have seasons like this, you have to remember what awaits. You have to remember what awaits. Look look at how he closes verse 10 when you look at this. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you, I will give you a crown of life. In essence, what he's saying is you need to remember what awaits. Don't focus on the crown of this life. Focus on the crown of eternity. Focus on something that's better. How many of you ever been to those Brazilian steakhouses? Anybody? Okay, quite a few of you. If you've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse, it's always funny, the people that go for the first time, you know what they do? When the waiter comes by, they will say, hey, why don't you go to the salad bar? And anytime I'm with someone that goes to the salad bar, I just think, oh, you amateur. (laughs) Because anyone who knows what's going on here knows that this is a trick. They're trying to get you to fill up on the salad and the less expensive stuff so that you don't eat all the good stuff. And this is incredibly important. When we talk about following Jesus, we've got to make sure that we don't think that we're just martyrs or we're suppressing desire. What in essence you're saying is you remember that the stuff of this world cannot satisfy. The stuff of this world is like salad, all right? And when you get to heaven, you're going, bring the best stuff on. I am not giving my one life to the stuff that does not satisfy, I'm going all in for the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going in for his power, his kingdom, his domain. And that's why these Christians, they're suffering with joy because they know what awaits. If you do not have a vision for eternity, you will always, always, always fall prey when someone comes along like a waiter and offers you something lesser. You will be sucked in and you will miss the greater thing, which is always, always, always the presence of God. So can I just encourage you, remember what awaits in your seasons. Interesting enough, the leader of this church was a man named Polycarp, great church leader. What's interesting, when he was 86 years old, remember I told you they would have to go take this incense and utter this phrase, Kaiser Kurios, which is Caesar is Lord. When this man was 86 years old, People found out that he was not worshiping Caesar, and so they actually issued a warrant for his arrest and ultimately his death. There's a story that goes when these guards came from Smyrna to arrest him, they could not believe, they were horrified they were arresting an 86-year-old frail man. And then what happened was, is that in essence, there was this whole arena of Christians that would not say, Kaiser Kurios, Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't do it. So this 86-year-old man watched as Christians were torn apart by these wild beasts in the arena. And the crowd, as they saw this man Polycarp, this old man, they begged him, they begged him, just say the word Caesar is Lord, just say Kaiser Kurios. You know what this 86-year-old man responded? 
He said, for 86 years I've served Jesus. How dare I now revile my king? He said to his executioners, it is well. I fear not the fire that burns for a season and after a while is quenched. Notice this. Why do you delay? Come now, do your will. It's a man that knew what was awaiting him on the other side. This was a man that said, if I can go be in the presence of Jesus with all of his kingdom and all of his glory and all of his power, count me in. You have to remember in seasons of difficulty, if you want a boldness, a faith that won't shrink back, you got to remember what awaits. So as we close, this is what I want to do. You know, there are Christians that are facing widespread persecution. Many of us in America, we don't face that. So I just want to pray for a couple things. First, I just want to pray real quick for the weight of those who are facing persecution. You know, we talked on this text about people in Smyrna that are facing persecution. There are brothers and sisters that you'll see behind us that our church partners with. We have partners in Jordan who help with Syrian refugees who are running from ISIS and they are threatened with financial restrictions but literally with the, with the reality of death. And then in India, one of the things <coughs> that I love about our church is that our church gives over $800,000 a year to help rescue slaves in India. And so your generosity, when you give, you're giving to people that are persecuted and people who are facing stuff. In fact, this is a picture of our partner, Praveen, and some of the children that Brookwood, in your generosity, you have helped rescue. But they face a lot of persecution. For some of them, they face the threat of death. And so what I would love is just for a minute, because I believe Brookwood is a praying church right where you are, I'm just going to ask you just to take a minute and would you pray for Jordan and India and pray for the presence of God to fall upon these people who are facing persecution and to remember that God is with them in something better ways. Just take a minute and pray for those facing the weight of persecution. As we close... <clears throat> You might not be facing the weight of persecution, but the truth is, some of you, you're just facing the weight of life. And you might have some painful things that you're navigating, maybe kids who've fallen away from the faith, maybe kids that got some struggles, maybe you've got a prodigal child, maybe you've got marriage things that you're facing, maybe you've got health issues that you're facing. Maybe you just have some stress or some anxiety. Maybe the season of life has just sort of hit you pretty hard. Maybe it's job stuff that you're facing. But if you're in a season of difficulty, of pain, then I just want to do something. I just want to pray over you. You don't have to come down front, but I'm just asking if you're in a season of pain and difficulty, if you're experiencing the weight of life or someone in your families, would you just stand up? Because I'd love to pray for you if you're in a season where you're just facing some stuff. If you're in that place, let me encourage you. You will come out of this season. And if you keep pressing in like you're doing, you will come out of this season and what the enemy intended for evil, God will give birth to new life, new power, new faith. The enemy wants you to feel like it is hopeless. The enemy wants you to question God. 
But in this moment, as you stand and as I pray over you, this is just your way of saying, I trust the God who has rose and conquered the grave, the first and the last. So let me just pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you that you are the God who walks with us in those seasons of difficulty. I pray for my brothers and sisters as they stand, representing that this is a season of difficulty. God, I pray that somehow in ways that only your spirit can, that you would bring a joy, not in this pain, but in the joy of the promise that we serve a God who rose and conquered the grave. And if you can bring good out of the cross, then you in your mighty, powerful ways can bring good out of this circumstance. So we tell the enemy in his lies that he has no power. And we claim the promise that you are giving new birth, new life, new hope. And so God, as we stand, it's our way of saying, we give you these worries, this weight back, and we receive, we receive your joy in life. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you are the God who gives us a crown of life, that you make us through your spirit victorious, so God, we just pray this in the amazing, mighty, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Everyone agreed and said, amen. Here's our memory verse, Revelation chapter two, verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. In our series, Jesus at the Center of the Church, a daily devotional is provided for you. This helps to dedicate time each day of the week to connect with God through reading, meditation, and prayer based on the daily devotional content. If you do not already possess a daily devotional book, distribution points are available. These include the concourse area during Sunday services, the reception desk throughout the week, or digitally via the new Brookwood Church app. The Brookwood Church mobile app just got better, and I encourage you to download the upgraded app before Sunday so you'll have up-to-date resources for the services. On Sunday, August 27th, we'll continue the series, Jesus at the Center of the Church. Prepare by reading Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. We're grateful you joined us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you during our next episode.